0: Welcome to episode 23 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I have Ildi from Starletterals, where she sells a very cool add-on to high heels that keep you from sinking in the grass or the ground when you're walking around outdoors. So this is a very cool business that all female listeners should go check out. And before we start, we have another five-star iTunes review this week. comes from Josh, and he says, I really enjoy the program and the guests. Very good interviews that are packed with actionable information. Awesome, Josh. All right, since it's also the end of the year, happy December. And in the spirit of the holiday seasons, I'd love to hear more from the listeners. So what I'm going to be working on is a collage of all the listeners. And so if you listen to the show, uh, take a picture of yourself listening to it with the artwork in the frame, and I'll give you a backlink to your blog your e-commerce store, or your website on the sidebar of the website. So all you got to do is have someone take a picture of you listening to the show. And you need to see the one, artwork of the show with my lovely photo on it. And two, uh, your face has to be recognizable. And also just send me the link for your website, your URL, online store address, your city, and your country. And this will go live on Christmas. And if you miss it this time, you'll have to wait again until next year. And we all know SEO is about building links, so... Here's your free link from me to you for Christmas holidays. And in some other news, I've been working on the content for our first online workshop in December. Right now, the date is set for December 18th, Tuesday. Uh, As for the exact time, I need to confirm with Andrew again, but sign up on the mailing list. I'll send out the registration link from there. And so just to remind you again, we're gonna talk about picking an e-commerce niche for those that are just getting started. We're talking about uh, how to analyze a market, uh, kind of choosing the price points uh, choosing some platforms and all that basic stuff. So, send it for the mailing list and I'll send out the registration link uh, next week uh, for December 18th, the first online workshop that we'll be hosting. So, all right, thanks a lot and let's get into this week's episode. <music> Right, this week I have Ildi from Starletters where she sells a high heel protectors that keep you from sinking in the grass when you're walking out on the ground. What's going on, Ildi?
1: Hi, Tara. Good. How's it going?
0: Not bad. Yeah, so I found you through uh, Tim Reed. I guess you guys did an interview, I think, last year or pretty recently.
1: Yeah, we did. We did. And I've listened to his interview on your show, which I really enjoyed.
0: <laughs> yeah, so how did he find you guys to get on his show? We uh,
1: we do listen to his podcasts and uh, as well as the uh, information he knew about, you know, us and the and the Oscars, um, he we contacted him because we, we sort of said, hey, a little small business punching above our weight and he was interested to talk to us
0: yeah and do you listen to the one he does with James Shremko too or just small business big marketing
1: yeah um mixtures of both we we like both their podcasts so sometimes my husband gets to listen a little more because I'm a, I'm a mom as well as running this business and he's my husband can catch the bus home so <laughs> <he catches laughs> webcasts on the way home <laughs> gotcha,
0: gotcha. okay very well then so so let's just kind of start from the top then so uh well first off what is a starletto and how does a work.
1: Yeah, Starletto. It's a tiny little heel protector, um, small and discreet, shaped like a flower. And the the key things that we've done in our design are, are make it a cute little thing at the counter so that people love it, people play with it, um, and it's flexible to different heel sizes. So it stops the high heel wear, as I should say, at the outdoor events sinking into the grass. And it also protects your heels from you know grates and um, decking and and anywhere else that your leather capped heels or your material heels will get damaged and ruined.
0: I I wish I knew (laughs) I wish I had a use for this if I wore heels.
1: (laughs) Listen I've made my husband trial them and uh, (laughs) there's plenty of guys out there one of my new untapped markets is going to be you know our our Sydney men market out there that wear the heels. (laughs) So uh,
0: Yeah I saw on the website there were uh, I guess horse jockeys that were wearing this too or what's the deal with
1: that yeah yeah no we sponsor a lot of the horse racing um and polo it's an, uh, one of our new ventures is, is starting to sponsor the polo around australia and, and where we can internationally so yeah it's just um you know as these sorts of outdoor functions grow and people love it you know that the ladies that can get dressed up it's a whole sort of story i think the growth of the outdoor wedding and the races and what it, well, it comes with choosing your shoe and you know it's not always a wedge or a flat that you want to go with you might want to go with a high heel so that's where the stilettos come in i mean i'm a i'm a lover of every sort of shoe type but the days i want to wear my high heels i don't want to have to think about changing my outfit i just want to add the little stiletto and know i can get ready and go
0: in what year did you come up with this idea
1: so this was uh, i got married in 2007 and and i got married outdoors so it was the planning of the wedding so it's 2006 that the idea was born and because i was uh, you know searching around for i'd come back from living overseas for a while and i was searching for the perfect shoe for my wedding and also wanted to get married in the blue mountains near sydney so the the idea was born from the frustration of finding gorgeous shoes and and knowing that myself and my bridesmaids would have to tiptoe and and say vows and you know be sincere at the same time as teetering on our toes and
0: <laughs> okay very cool and so uh, what was the first version of the product like or did you always knew it was going to kind of be like this
1: we're, we were talking and and you know, just liaising with with each other and our friends, this my husband is a co-inventor. we So we started doing patent searches and we also started drawing up the idea. And we came across a German guy that never went to market and he had patented basically the idea that we had drawn at the time. And so we thought, oh, you know, oh, we can't do that then. And then we thought, no, hang on, how do we do this and how do we do this better? So we decided that, you know, from the original concept that we had drawn up on paper, we drew and we both separately actually, Came up with sort of a flower-like design. The First one we created was just with glue and elastic and beads, and we <laughs> we made basically a really dodgy sort of bottom of a furniture s- scraper uh, stuck to some beads with elastic, weaved through it. And we just imagined that there would be lots of people sitting around doing making this sort of thing. And then <laughs> then we realized we probably should go to uh, you know an industrial designer, and there might be better better things.
0: <laughs> and with the idea, did you think that, how come no one else thought about this? Because it seems very common, right? I mean, heels have been around forever. Uh, how come no one else has thought about this?
1: I know. Well, uh, I think the thing is that outdoor, um, things like weddings are changing. Things like outdoor events are changing and now there's a couple on the market. Since we've been, uh, gone to market in uh, 2007 or 2008, um, there's been a couple that have come on board in the US market and the in the UK market. I don't really know why other than the evolving love of outdoors and mixing the outdoors with fancy events that's... Uh, that's driving this.
0: I see, I see. So you talked about uh, how there was a patent for this. Kind of, What was the process like uh, getting the new product with a patent?
1: It was it was lengthy <laughs> and expensive. <laughs> but I think it, a good thing is to use, especially as a small business, like with all your components, use professionals and um, bring in other resources. So we had a lot of he- help and we took a lot of advice from government organizations and we went to the right patent lawyers and we had our patent pending and then we actually um, ha- found a, a copy on the market so we had to negotiate with that and we, and we found out from then that there's an innovation patent that you can also apply for so while your patent is pending it's a, a good thing to know that uh, if you need the process sped up and you can prove you know that you've, you've made the innovation then there's the innovation patent as well which can clear your
0: ground. So just to make sure I understand this, there's one, the innovation one is the process of creating the product, and then the patent is actually the finished product, right?
1: Yeah, they just exactly cover off um, slightly different things. And um, it's interesting, we found it interesting that we, we knew nothing about one patent, but would find out about the other patent.
0: <laughs> and so how long did it take? Did it take like a year, half a year, or what time frame are we looking at?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it took a, it took a couple of years, uh, the whole process from bringing the idea along talking we did take it slow we took it slow and we made sure it was a process that we we're really interested in actually you know we did a bit at a time and um researched a bit at a time and talked to various friends shop owners um lawyers experts um so the patenting process uh, or the whole process has taken maybe two to three years to go to market till we were very satisfied with sort of the beginnings of what we were doing. The patenting process, um, again, it was a few steps because we patented um, and then we also took it overseas as well. So.
0: I see. And the thing is, you don't want to patent something that won't really have a market for it right?
1: that's right every step is so you want to you want to protect your property but you also and i think that's important to to think about with every step of your small business and your innovation you've got to research each step before you spend that extra bit of money uh you know is it going to work is it important is it relevant the output it, are you gonna you know is it worth it i suppose
0: so what were some of the factors you took into account before you said, okay, I'm going to patent this and there's actually a market for this. Kind of what were the factors you used to test that this idea was viable?
1: From the very basic to the very technical. So the very basic was that I thought it was a good idea and almost anyone I mentioned it to that was of um, my age, I suppose the heel-wearing, wedding-going age, um, thought it was a good idea. So that was basic market research. Right up to we used uh, a contact to do a business model. So we did a lot of financial modelling and business modelling to project Things like how many people are going to the races, how many the people, how many of those people are females, um, you know, each year in Australia. So very much um, the technical side of where we're going to get a return on our investment.
0: And so, for the price point of the product, did you kind of decide this beforehand? Is this what you're talking about, or?
1: Yeah, exactly. We modelled that. That was one part of modelling. So financial modelling and business modelling, the the organisation um, we used, you can look at almost any aspect of it. Um, so price point was just one. But if you price it at this amount and you've got this many people potentially using your product and this is the amount that it's going to cost. It just looks at every part of your business that you are potentially going to launch and then you can really get a a good idea about what you're going to spend. Because we were doing something very new and we were using materials that we had taken years to research, which which materials was the strongest as well as it's a two- part um, product so one part is the base which is very very strong so it shouldn't ever break which some of the other heel protectors do the petals should be flexible enough to allow different sized heels because it's a two point product we had to find all the materials that we would use and then we had to price it up properly Uh, now in saying that we have reduced our price from the beginning price, but that was always in our plan as well. So we started off actually at a price where it wasn't as attractive to distributors and it wasn't as attractive to shops, but we got our foot in the door. We started selling as a small business and it covered a lot of our costs at the higher price. And then over the couple of years, we have dropped the price as we've been targeting more distribution, larger um, shops and shops that will want to sell it at at a marketable price. So we have had to drop the price, but that was always in the
0: plan. I see. I see. And so just one more question about patents I forgot. So I guess you guys are patented in Australia, right? Did you have to do it again in like the US, EU, or is it the same process?
1: Yeah. So same process for us. Uh, we are, we're patented, uh, as you say, um, UK, Europe, Australia, Canada. And yeah, we just, we use the, the patent lawyers. So um, basically once you've got a patent lawyer, the process for us <laughs> is the small pretty easy apart from spending lots of money
0: (laughs) i see i see and so are the stilettos made in australia or are they kind of made in asia or how do they source now
1: yeah, so for us, we are still Australian signed and made. We, we have got a license agreement through the U- UK and Europe and um, our licensee, they produce in um, in Asia. But the Australian market and a lot of other countries in the world that we distribute to are, are produced in Australia. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So you see a lot of small businesses that can produce locally, whether it's in the US, Australia or UK, there's like a big trend now just to make your stuff locally if possible, right? Is that what you see too?
1: Absolutely, people love it. People love that we are produced here. And we find as a small business, one of the wonderful things is that we have been able to keep in contact with our warehouse, um, do changes with our warehouse. Uh, there's always, you know, there's always a line of communication. Um, so we might pay a little more, but we have a little more control over our product at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. And so, you know, when you were first starting out, did you just put all the inventory in your apartment or kind of, what were like the first <laughs> first few months like?
1: And, and when you say when you're first starting out, uh, I'm sitting here at my dining room table right now with... Uh, Uh, half the dining room table full of starletto, so (laughs) it was operated from here and um, I I had one child then, so it would be me popping up to the post office and, you know, putting our orders in in the local, you know, post office slot and then since then we have evolved the last few years obviously to uh, producing and sending straight to the warehouse and um, the logistics of the distribution is a lot more complex and a little more smooth. But um, every now and then, I still send some from headquarters. If someone contacts us after the closing hours of the warehouse, <laughs>
0: yeah, I see. And so, what was the? When was the decision point that you decided? Okay, we need a warehouse. We can't do it in our house anymore.
1: It was because we're a small business, uh, and and what I, I think one of the important things um, about small businesses is that you need to enjoy it. Uh, one of the points of it was just that. That shouldn't be where I should be directing my energy anymore. So it became the point where there was a few orders, quite a few orders per day. And what I would be doing all day then was dealing with the orders. So uh, I think we hit that, it was about a year in and we just, and we moved it off site to, a, uh, first of all, an employee's place. And so the employee took control of the, just for post and pack situation but then again within another maybe within the first 18 months we had it pick and packed and um, moved into a warehouse now it's, I think it's I think it's quite good for small businesses to know that well, there's challenges with finding a good pick and pack at a good pick and pack price for small businesses but but there are if you can research them there's a small a community of people that will help you and um, will price the operations for you, uh, including our current warehouse, um, Thorndale, who are a, a member of the uh, Disability Enterprise of Australia. So work with it at a good rate and... and We enjoy supporting them and and they help us grow our business.
0: I see. And so when you're looking for like a third party logistics center, I understand there's like a scaling price in terms of how much product you have and how much they charge you, right?
1: Absolutely. So on one hand, that is hard when you're getting from small business to um, larger volumes in finding something that you can afford. And we waited up actually during this period. I had my second child. So we worked with more people working for us anyway. So we covered off that middle period by just using our own em- employees to do the distribution and fulfillment but yeah the next step I think is to just get to the large scale very experienced pick and pack places and uh, and the distribution because they do they do price it according to how many you know products you send out Per day
0: and so I understand you also have distributors that sell the product too?
1: Yeah, distributors. So we have, we have almost anyone that sells our product.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so how do you keep them happy when you sell it direct online too? Yeah,
1: so we offer quite good margins um, for the distributors. And we also um, point out that there's a recommended retail price, but there's a flexibility in that price. So our product is a few dollars difference um, around different shops uh, and that's that's based on our prices as well as what we you'll need to pay for postage on our website etc so we're all around a similar price but but we make sure we the distribution happy with their margins
0: <laughs> i see i see and do you find that your retail sales are going faster or kind of your online portion of the store
1: yeah i think both retail sales this um current australian spring we have just got retailer after retailer come on board and they've been approaching us through the web which is absolutely fantastic and they're from around Australia but they're also from all corners of the world which actually at the moment we've some of the some of the countries we've got the ability to deal you know channel into and some of them at the moment we're just sort of working out how to distribute you know sometimes the security of post and that sort of thing can make some countries challenging when you're a bit smaller but yeah so at the moment the growth is um it is both and whereas it used to be maybe a few a day a few four years ago when we when we first came to market um really the orders are bigger so you might say you had uh three times the amount of orders and we do double actually we've found that we've doubled every year with our with our revenue and our growth but the orders in themselves from the from the consumers market consumers will be um more style letters so people used to buy one pair now they always buy five or six pairs at once so so that's grown um but the number of retailers that that know us and the areas that they are in have grown as well so now we've just had our first fashion store approach us and they're trialing us in Paddington, Sydney.
0: Nice, nice and you know a lot of people say you know e-commerce is the future but do you still see offline retail as a powerful channel?
1: Yes, yes absolutely we we are um, as a small business though The e-commerce is a really good way a really efficient way for us to operate I suppose but the shoe stores for our product the face-to-face contact is such an important part of it that word of mouth is part of a big part of our marketing strategy so word of mouth as well as a lot of online marketing and and I think that's important then to have the, the people meeting in the shops and the story I suppose at the sale the upsell there that's um, that's a part of the retailers growth for us so yeah both e-commerce and shop fronts are really important for Starletters.
0: I see yeah it's funny because I was talking to a guy at Shopify last week and he was saying uh, in North America, all the retail sales last year, only 10% was e-commerce.
1: Wow. So
0: that was really low. I was surprised when he yeah, said Yeah,
1: isn't that true? Because it's such a growth area, but it's, you know, as a, I suppose as a shopper, you love the contact we love we love the, the touch and the feel and the physical contact i think don't we of, of um of actually sort of going into shops and so even though you can online shop i think you're still, you still you maybe miss sometimes a little bit of the um experience so people will do both i think
0: yeah like i think it's one thing to see a starletto in a video but it's one thing to see it in a store and actually put it on your heel right
1: yeah absolutely and we we often supply um one for the people to play with in the store so they don't because <laughs> otherwise they want to get out all the stock that the shop owners have and play with them because they Actually, feel really cool, and they, you know, it's actually quite cool to hold and touch, and yeah. So the tangible um, ability, I suppose, of being in a shop and touching it and putting it on your heel and seeing that it works. and, And actually, I tell you what, we do a lot of our marketing at events. So we will go. We'll either send product, or if we can get there, we'll go, and and just basically provide some product at the event. So people put them on, wear them, and say, wow, actually, they work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they just tell one or two friends, and then it just kind of grows that way.
1: Yeah, that's
0: right. And so who is your typical customer that buys the Starletto?
1: Yeah, I think the typical person that. I think females are a huge part of our market. I know that's a little obvious, but it started off as country girls. They, they were the ones who really launched us on the map in Australia. The country um, racing girls around here are very glamorous and their events are, you know, really important to them. So they've seen, they, they saw this product and it was like they needed this product. So the first and and still very strong market for us was um, the country girls and then it's
0: so these these girls are like they ride horses or uh, sorry i'm not really sure what an australian country girl is (laughs) yes
1: probably so our horse riding uh, horse racing here in australia and um other such country events where the local community go and attend the attendees are absolutely glamorous they're in high heels amazing dresses there'll be a headpiece yeah, so so the country girls here are, are not necessarily riding the horses, or maybe maybe when they're not attending these events, they ride the horses. They're turning up like they're at you know a bridesmaid or a, um, you know going to a ball, but appropriately fitted out, of course. So,
0: so, so it's a very upscale kind of.
1: Absolutely, in the states, I think you you know you've maybe got one big horse racing event that I know of, and that I've probably just absolutely um, got that wrong because <laughs> the USA market
0: (laughs) and have you found it to expand into different demographics like you know people living in big cities like sydney or new york you know when it's raining they'll use a stiletto.
1: getting there so we had to market the concept as well as the product so i found that was a slow growth as in it felt slow I, i don't think it was so slow when when every year we're doubling so i think that's Probably pretty good statistics, but because you had to market what this thing was for and how it helped you, uh, as well as then you therefore want a starletto as the one that that you choose. It took it took a while, and it, and it's still it's still growing. It's still, there's still people. There's more and more people that will say to me, "Oh yeah, yeah, starlettos," and there's still people that say, "Oh yeah, I I don't know, I think I've heard of something like that." But yeah, so people are starting to use them on their heels as they go around the city to protect the tips and um, to protect themselves from great getting their Heels caught in the greats, which is a huge problem around Sydney and uh, I presume around New York as well.
0: That's the interesting part about e commerce is that you know, when you're doing B2C, each time you have to educate the consumer what your product is, your whole story. Whereas, you know, if you sold something to a business to business, it's kind of very easy. It's the same process over and over.
1: Actually, one of the things I find as a challenge is when it's not a female at the front of the business who's looking to buy, because it's a hard concept to grasp. The need is a hard concept to grasp, except if you face the need.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's a male that, you know, male purchaser won't really know how to use this, right? Right.
1: That's right. And it's, and it is, it's, it's a really interesting difference Uh, in trying to convert. And, uh, and even, you know, I just had a conversation the other day with someone who buys off me quite a lot, but he was just saying to me, oh my gosh, you wouldn't wear high heels. Would you anymore? Why would you bother with them? (laughs) And I was, I do <laughs> not only because I have a product with a high heel but because I like them anyway
0: <laughs> yeah it's exactly. you kind of have to wear heels to market your product right otherwise you know
1: exactly. be like, all the way I think I think that thing works I don't know <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. all right. and so let's talk about marketing a little bit so outside of word of mouth what other channels have you found to work really well
1: yeah we did a lot of uh, or we do a lot of google adwords and we do facebook marketing and and we love a lot of our girls are are buying searching online for their wedding outfits their wedding shoes or their racing outfits, racing shoes, or just generally interested in uh, online fashion. And, and of course, we can use the, the analytics and, and looking into the Facebook, we, which we've we've gone quite in-depth with some of the Facebook marketing. So we've followed to see what ads work, and we've you know done the split testing. And,
0: I see. and, and you know how AdWords is getting really expensive? Do you still find it to be converting really well or...? you know, with the price point of your product and how expensive AdWords is getting.
1: You're, you're exactly right, it's very expensive um, and that's one thing we're looking at at the moment because you're exactly, <laughs> that's the exact we're having at headquarters here, are we getting the return? And we, we have employed a couple of, uh, recently we've been working with some um, experts in that field to look at were we being effective enough in our own stuff we were doing or should we be using more experts and the conversion rate although the ads were more targeted and they got to um got to our target market, market quicker they didn't necessarily convert more people so that was interesting so we need to, we need to look at what we're going to do with that next but but part of the fun of of what we do is As we play around a lot and we talk to a lot of people, we attend a lot of um, different entrepreneurial meetings and discussions and we'll look at that and we'll see what to do next.
0: (laughs) I see. And so you said you've been doing a lot of Facebook ads too, right? Kind of how has that worked out so far compared to like say AdWords?
1: We drove a lot of Facebook marketing last year. Um, It was really good for interest in our social media, clearly. So we we had a lot of likes come on board with our Facebook. But again, we weren't sure how much that was converting into sales, but it was clearly converting into word of mouth, you know, good, decent word or or, or good, decent marketing, more and more people, more and more awareness. And um, the combination of both, I think has been good. And we do use SEO as well. Um, We use SEO companies and we do our own and we're always trying to evolve through our website. Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess Facebook is hard to measure because, you know, someone could like now, but they may buy like four months later. So it's kind of hard to track the conversion.
1: You know, now with Facebook changing the sort of the way it operates, we're questioning, It's it's been our primary social media, but we're, we're now sort of looking at what the spend is involved with that that platform, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so that is that is the challenge, isn't it? It's, it's how, how much social media, how much interest do you drive and how much is it driving your sales as well?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing with Facebook. Said. We're talking about like where Facebook's making you pay to kind of like have everyone see your news right, or your posts.
1: I'm a little disgruntled about that because you're already, with using Facebook ads as a marketing way, you feel like you've put some investment into Facebook anyway. So then to have to pay to advertise your posts to the people that have liked you, I don't know. It feels a little cheeky.
0: Yeah, I know. I think you're not the only one. There's a lot of s- stuff on the internet where people are not happy about this.
1: It's a hard to know what to do next. So, so we are trying things like the Pinterest. We we always feed through to Twitter anyway. So, but it's again, it's another thing on the drawing board as to what's the most effective for our business. I see.
0: And so I see you guys have I think 10,000 likes now. Is it already filtering like only 20 percent of your fans are seeing your news or? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. But it is interesting, you know. There's definite posts that many more of our fans will react to. Um, for us, it usually involves a gorgeous shoe, <laughs> so a guaranteed a successful post if you uh, if you have something interesting with a gorgeous shoe in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I guess the the thing that. I guess makes business angry is that, you know, you're gambling on, you know, people seeing your stuff and you don't know if there's an ROI when you have to pay it upfront just to broadcast it. Right.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, that's right. You, you sort of think, um, this is supposed to be a community that you're building. That's interested in your, your product and your ideas. And, um, so, you know, people can always opt out. So yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's quite harsh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, and I think instead of making people pay for it, you know, users can always unlike something and they won't see anything. So I don't know why Facebook is it.
1: Too- I'm interested to see how, I mean, Facebook obviously clearly are quite a strong organization, so but I am interested to to see how that goes and and how the reaction is set on that, or whether people just accept it and it goes on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, for a business who has maybe you know fifty thousand likes, you're kind of you're kind of tied to the platform too. Right? That's right. That's right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: And so, how have you found Pinterest to work for the business? Because you know, I hear various things from different businesses. I just want to hear your experience. On that. We
1: are dabbling in Pinterest at the moment. I have to say, it's um, and again, it's it's part of our discussion as to how much we use it going forward we love it as an interest point um it's a perfect spot for us because most of our people that like us usually like full pictures of shoes and that sort of thing and we just play around with that but um but as far as return on interest and, and that sort of thing I, i'm not so sure at the moment that it's driving big sales or anything i see okay
0: and so you know you said you do seo too kind of you do some facebook marketing and you know do you find the business is kind of growing organically on, on its own or do you of really have to push hard with your marketing
1: both. So I think it is growing organically because people are starting to, especially as we've talked about, you know, now it's in the shop front. So that's basically a, a organic growth help right there. But the SEO is so important, particularly with the online online stuff. You know, it's just we've been very proudly quite high up in Google most of the time that we've been around and without the knowledge about SEO and without the right people or helping us and doing the right strategies i don't think that it would be as effective
0: yeah exactly all right and so tim mentioned there was a kind of a pr uh, big hit you guys had with the emmys kind of what was the story behind that
1: we had some really exciting news when we signed our license agreement and launched into the uk and europe so we we did a press release and we put it on pr web and pr web gets picked up by lots of different um, journos from around the world and we were lucky enough or and very excited to be contacted by the people who organised the gift bags for the Oscars and the Emmys. So they contacted us, a tiny little Australian company all the way from LA and said, uh, could we be included in the gift bags for the Oscars and the Emmys last year? So of course we jumped straight on board. That basically delivered to the door of any nominee, any of the Oscar and Emmy nominees last year and, and this year who were nominated but didn't win. So that is just an absolutely amazing thing for our tiny little company.
0: <laughs> is it for the audience listeners who aren't sure what PR Web is? Can you just give us a brief background on how it works?
1: Uh, PR web so you um, basically get a little space on PR web website you can just you know check it out online and you can put put a little company profile and when you've got some interesting news you just upload it for a small amount of money and um, it, it needs to be PR news it can't be just an ad they're pretty strict on that which is I think a good thing so then that keeps the journalists interested so they'll see they'll skim down and if they, they're interested they'll pick you up and they can add include you in their um, their online media content <laughs>
0: You guys also have a PR from now too, right? It's on your website?
1: Yeah, we do. We have Sophie Cross from PR Chicks. And um, for us, she's been fabulous. And that's been a fabulous medium-sized Australian firm who have really helped us because we, we had to seed our own growth. We didn't get any grants or, or we haven't had any investors so far. And that's been a choice of ours. But but so therefore, spending money on, on different components of your business, of course, is a very tricky decision. So for us, working with a PR firm such as PR Chicks has just been brilliant in getting into the right media space, getting our products sent out to uh, celebrities and editors and, and keeping the news rolling. So every month, pretty much, for the first couple of years when we really strongly used them, we would get some kind of media just from Sophie being in the right space, hearing about someone doing a story on something relevant to us and sending our product off. And if it was interesting, then, of course, uh, we would be featured.
0: I see. So the value of a PR firm is really just kind of like a whole separate channel from your marketing, it seems.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. And um, so what we didn't know when we started out was what is the difference between, yeah, What do you market, do you PR? And I think PR is a great jump into the space, but then... I also believe that ongoing, in an ongoing basis, particularly if you've got limited resources in your company, then PR are really good to keep your product relevant. Your PR firm should be have the constant feeds so they can always present your product to the correct people. And they should also be able to, I, I suppose, have your best interest in heart because you've got to check out with your PR firms how much, you know, they're charging you and, and versus what you're getting back. So, But I think it makes you, you can't just PR and you can't just market.
0: Yeah, and I guess a lot of small business owners, they're so busy with operations, they may overlook PR, right? So kind of, when was the point you decided, okay, we need to get a PR firm to really, you know, take our business to the next level?
1: Yeah, straight away actually. So PR was one of the first things we did. And I think that's a really important thing. I actually believe that the the beginning, you, you really need PR. And then from then on, you need to keep assessing how much you need that PR. I think you probably still need it, But how much do you need it? You know, can they just work casually for you? Or are there lots of things that they can keep your product
0: relevant to? Yeah, especially since, you know, everywhere, whenever there's a high heel or a stiletto, you you guys can basically have a spot there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Anything to do with horse racing, outdoor events, boating events, um, weddings. (laughs) The local media recently, because three weeks ago, our prime minister was in India and she got her heel caught in the grass and she went, you know, head over. That sort of thing is just you need to bounce on the back of that straight away and, and having a PR firm or having a copywriter and a PR firm it's just essential to have at your fingertips I think.
0: Yeah, otherwise it's, these are really opportunities you would miss without this. Really,
1: And even things like being in the Oscars and the Emmys that's fantastic but if nobody but the Oscar and the Emmy nominee knows about your product then <laughs> you know whilst you might have tapped on a really famous person you haven't nearly used it as you know as much as you can and so a lot of the things we did following the Oscars of the Enemies was make sure every single person knew but if there was a stiletto, you probably knew we were in the Oscars and the Emmys as well. So, um, and you know, and that's driving the PR and then supporting your marketing and building your brand basically.
0: And did you find that the, after the Oscars and Emmy, that was like a big drive for the business? Like, did it just double or was it kind of still like a slow grind as you got bigger?
1: We've had a few key medias over the years. So, the very first media, we did a PR mail out in the first week we launched. And within two days, we were picked up by one of our biggest TV morning shows, uh, probably the biggest. and. They presented our product, and you know this was amazing because it was just a literally sort of twenty-four hours or something after we'd sent out the PR product. And so pretty much, I got home and I thought, "Oh my god, this is it! You know, this is gonna just launch us to the next level." And I think we
0: had like yeah, we'll be we'll be millionaires in in a week, right? I think we
1: made like ten sales and got
0: two stalkers.
1: I was like. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and but we have learned that every single one of these things that are huge, and I mean they are huge, so you can't not get excited about them. But yeah, they're still a slow burn. I think they, but they do help build your brand. So your brand is then associated with um, Sunrise Television, which was the first one. Uh, We've been in Vogue, we've been in Cosmopolitan, you know, we've been in OK Magazine, then the Oscars and the Emmys. So every single time someone sees our brand and every single time someone sees those, it it gets another stamp of, I suppose, recognition. Yeah,
0: and you can really leverage that to get even bigger exposure too, We
1: haven't quite yet worked out or been able to identify one piece of media that has has driven, I suppose, an abnormal amount of sales. So it still keeps growing. It grows and grows and grows and grows all the time. Um... But yeah, no, Oscar, after the Oscars and Emmys, it was, it was still growing, but it wasn't, you know. <laughs> we got a lot of excitement from people, though. That's what we did get. When-
0: it's funny, I mean, because as a small business owner, you're always dreaming of the day, you know, where your business gets really big and you can be so proud. And so a lot of business owners I talk to, like, yeah, I want this big break. But then something, you know, it always falls under their expectations. By Absolutely.
1: A little bit. And I think, but I think that's a learning, isn't it? I think that is just something that you need to realize that, if you if you do think that one business was thrown into the public light because of one event, uh, once you're in small business or or the general concept of growing growing something, you realise it's not. It's a thousand other events that have led to that plus that one event that has launched.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just the media perception we get these days where you know you see Instagram being sold for a billion and but you don't see the whole year behind it.
1: Right? No, you do not see the whole year behind it. Exactly. You do not see the probably 20 years of something behind it and the yeah. you know endless nights and the um, the losses of before that or you know the stuff ups along the way and of course we all dream of that that minute where Just billions get thrown at you.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So let's move on to a little about your platform. What kind of e-commerce platform are you on?
1: So we have a custom integrated cart. We started off on the old WordPress. um,
0: Like a WooCommerce? or
1: Yeah. It was so long ago now that, uh, and we didn't really use it properly. I think it was like WordPress before they reinvented it. So pretty much it was about the time they were about to reinvent it. And we were dealing with a pretty cool graphic designer. and, And she said, oh, no, look, Talk to my mate, who's a who's a web developer. So we got our whole website and our cart um, custom designed. This was relevant for us because we have one product. So a lot of the functionality of a custom. Uh, sorry, of the typical e-commerce platforms that you can purchase. They deal with lots of different types of products that need to deal with lots of different types of postage and that sort of thing. But for us, we didn't need a third party. We just needed what we needed. So we just got one built.
0: I see. And so you guys, so how long ago did you guys build this on your own?
1: Uh, It was 2010 that we built that and we are forever, every week, every day, uh, improving it and integrating more into it. Um, For instance, our emailing, we were on email um, MailChimp for our emails that go out. Now, we don't send emails often. What we've started to do now is send that from the back end of our website. So we have a great team that works with us at the moment. So yes, we created it. But
0: That's nice that you can change it anytime because a lot of the people on the hosted platforms, you're kind of stuck on what they can offer you, so you're not that That flexible in terms of changing some core designs, I guess.
1: Yeah, and that was why it was so, I suppose, integral for us to to have that in our conversations back in 2010. It was clear that we were, as I say, building the concept as well as building the product. So we didn't really know 100% what we needed to do. So we just sort of did did some stuff and then it became obvious that we needed to do a bit more so yeah that, that was beautiful it's beautiful but it also is tricky if you do your custom design your cart because you're responsible for your own mistakes and your own bits that you don't think about and you know <laughs> so, so when you've got got a problem you
0: have to sort that problem out. <laughs> yeah I guess it's more expensive too when you have your own developer Designing everything too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But equally, like we've found with everything, the way you spend your money, uh, for instance, um, our web developer, uh, she's she's fantastic. She's I'm the black sheep. She gives us so much more value because she works with other fantastic clients as well. She often puts our product in front of them. So and we find this is so true of all the people that end up working with us for many years is they bring so much more value to our business than we could have ever asked for.
0: And so let's move on to a little bit about mindset. Uh, you know, you know, you started out small doing your market research. You know, did you ever worry about, you know, this won't work out starting out?
1: Yeah, of course. We still feel like we're starting out. We still feel like there's, you know, so many frontiers that we we haven't conquered yet and <laughs> that still need to get to. But but yeah, we did. We we were scared it would fail, but we always thought if it does fail, what a fantastic Learning, of course, you don't want it to fail. But we kind of thought, well, if this doesn't work, what we're going to learn about is bringing a product to market and pros and cons and e-commerce and um, you know, because it wasn't my background in this. So, um, so that was one thing. But we were also really scared that it would be really, really successful overnight and we wouldn't be able to handle that. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> and did you have family and friends say, you know, LD, what are you doing? You have two kids and you're starting this little business? Are, are you crazy? <laughs>
1: And, uh, and I think part of me agrees with them, but part of me just loves this, the fact that, you know, I'm doing something different and I'm doing something that forever is challenging my brain, which every, every, every now and then I walk away from it for 24 hours and just say, that's it, <laughs> that's enough at the time it's so challenging and it's so interesting and you know I'm never ever bored. I'm always wondering what I'm going to do but n- not in the way that I've got nothing to do if you like. So yeah it, it is crazy and I really hope my kids are also learning from this. They're learning that they don't have to they don't have to follow a path. you know there's many paths and you can be inventive and you can be creative and you can be doing your own thing.
0: Yeah, exactly, and so and so you work on this with your husband too, right? Kind of, you guys can lean on each other during the tough times. So, you know, what advice do you have for business owners that are doing this by themselves? And, you know, sometimes they get depressed. Yeah, what advice do you have for them?
1: Yes, I think it's so. So my husband's not really in my business. He's a co-inventor, um, but he's he's full time uh, in another role. So he every now and then, if I if I need some help with some things, he'll, he'll do them sort of with me, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's a great support is one of the things, but also I've, I've made sure to connect with a fantastic community of small business owners and entrepreneurs. And I think this is absolutely key. It's um because you do, you know, if if you're in a team and you're in a co- big corporate, you just, you lean over to your mate and you think, oh, you know, let's go for a coffee. I've had a, you know, bad morning or whatever. But when you're in your own business, I think you need to make sure that you've got that community around you with the people you bring into the business and um, just with net, the networking events and and every day I have to say I go and buy a coffee um, you know so if nothing else I talk to some humans
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah this is I guess is the concept of the mastermind everyone on kind of like the internet world talks about
1: right? yeah yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and do you still do like these weekly meetings with these people or is it just kind of more casual whenever I need to talk to you I talk to you
1: casual I would say casual but ongoing so um I find, particularly at the moment, I'm in my busiest period in um, spring racing carnival here in Australia with the horse racing and the wedding season and coming up to Christmas. I'm basically sort of running all the time. So I'm always talking to someone, you know, at the moment. But I make sure I go to events with them, whether it's a monthly event or a um, six-weekly event or something like that. I think I used to do, I probably used to do weekly meetings. So that's what I would recommend to someone who's starting out. Make sure you pick some people. People in the same growth stage as you, but also people that can mentor you a little as well. Well, and give you some growth advice, and make sure you do do that. Make sure you keep yourself um, relevant and and in people's space, I suppose. Yeah,
0: interesting. All right, so let's just wrap a little bit here. Are there any uh, kind of new products we can expect besides Starletto's? Are you branching into anything new? At
1: the moment, uh, we've decided to stay just with our one product, but we're bringing out um, that the U.S. market is a And that's our market for this year that we've broken into, largely, I suppose, because of the Oscars and the Emmys. But we've found that it's a much more wedding-driven market. It's making us think about our product in regards to the brides. So we've got some bridal colours coming out, hopefully for the USA Spring uh, 2013. So we've got some pearly colours and some pinky colours. A little down the line, while we're still growing so strongly with our product, we're sticking with the one product, a little down the line... We're going to think about diversifying. What we, what, which way we'll go there.
0: You know, there's like what three billion women in the world. Say thirty percent wear high heels. I mean, the market's so big.
1: <laughs> you know, you feel like you're tapping it, and then you feel like you're not not tapping it, You know, a tiny bit of it. So that's right. We just want to we want to get this right, and we also want to as we grow. We don't want to lose the personal touch that we feel like we we still have in our business.
0: Uh, this last question always stumps people. So, what's uh, one thing you wish you knew when you were starting out?
1: I wish I knew Sarah Jessica Parker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would have done all the advertising for you. Right?
1: She loved my heel product. <laughs> no, um, I think I wish. I suppose how to how to apply. <laughs> you know, in Australia. I wish I had known about all the support that there is for small businesses through the government <laughs> because we we drained a lot of our first lot of resources in starting out and then we realised that the starting out is only one part of the money that's going to be an outgoing factor. <laughs> then you've... More money in the next phase and the next phase and the next phase. And so it was only in the next phases that we started looking into what support we could have from the Australian government, what grants were out there and that sort of thing. And actually, we, we had missed the ability to apply for some of the um, innovation type grants because we were too far along our process. So, yeah, that would be something I would have I would have had because we like to keep our own control. So we didn't want outside investors
0: at the at the startup phase, but we would have liked some more money. <laughs> I see. So, what are these type of grants you're talking about that the government has? Just to go into more detail,
1: um, our government in it does depend. It can be a national grant or it can be just a state grant in one of our states. Um, so, the local governments might offer it, or the national government might offer it. And it can be there's there's many grants for um, innovation. So, when you're inventing a product, or there's grants for exporting, um, marketing to an international market. Yeah, there's just they change. All the time to be honest with you the uh, innovation australia i think is one good website to check out and and even just googling you know inventing a product
0: <laughs> it beats you know putting you know five thousand ten thousand dollars of your own money into something when you realize you could have just got it somewhere else
1: and it can be up to some of the grants are up to you know two hundred thousand dollars over a few years so um yeah really worth <laughs> really worth knowing about
0: yeah exactly all right so just to wrap up where can we find you online yeah
1: we are at starletos.com in the uk uh, dot co uk um but yeah so whether you're in australia or america it's the dot com and uh facebook letters as well
0: okay and you guys ship international too right
1: we do and in america we distribute directly from amazon actually so you can buy us on amazon or you can buy us on dot com and we just ship it from amazon anyway so it can be overnighted uh in, in, in america and we do ship other countries from australia
0: very cool thank you so much LB. i think that's it
1: excellent thanks nice to talk to you terry
0: store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.